Good afternoon and welcome to today's in-service podcast series event. My name is John Carroll. I'm the CEO and founder of the Service Council. Welcome to our ongoing in-service podcast series, which is an event series where we feature leading executives across our community to talk about the latest and greatest trends that are impacting service, customer support, uh, service supply chain, and more. Uh, really, really, uh, it's been a lot of fun to welcome a breadth of experience in these discussions. And I'm really excited for today's topic and for our featured guests. Uh, the topic today is building a strong service network. And I'm so incredibly pleased to be joined by Matthew Wong, Matt Wong, to friends. He's the vice president of global customer support of the Manitowoc Company, and he is an advisory board member of the Service Council. Matt, a huge welcome to you. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me on your Service Council in-service podcast. Outstanding. Um, so uh, we're going to go ahead and dive in, but uh, today we, we always like to make these sessions and discussions interactive as much as we can. Um, we are live streaming on, gosh, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, all over the place. Um, this is a LinkedIn Live. We are a LinkedIn Live uh, approved vendor here. So if you want to comment, if you want to submit some questions, uh, we welcome you to do so. And we'll try to build in a reaction inside the discussion, whether it's just reaction or uh, if it's truly a question that we need to respond to, we'll, we'll be happy to take those as well. Um, today's session is recorded. Uh, we're going to produce it and clean it up, whatever, on the back and front end of it. Um, and then it will be accessible on whatever channel you subscribe to to get your podcast. So YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Overcast, and you can also get it at the Service Council's website. So I like to jump right into things um, because I want to get to the content value. Um, so Matt, um, we know you well, and you've been a member of the Service Council for many, many years uh, over the course of a couple pit stops in your career. But could you please introduce yourself to the group here that's listening in, um, personal, professional background? Uh, that'd be great for our listening audience. Yeah, John, I think we met early on uh, when Service Council was forming, and it was interesting to see how much Service Council has grown over time. Uh, so my name is Matt Wong. I currently work for Manitowoc, a global crane manufacturer and distribution company with responsibility for our mobile crane customer support divisions. Uh, but I would kind of describe myself maybe as the least likely candidate to be working in the heavy equipment industry, but somehow stumble into a 20 year career um, over probably working with over 100 different equipment manufacturers and dealers around the world. I was uh, born in Hawaii and uh, really didn't have much exposure to the industrial sector unless you count riding a moped to the beach. That's probably <laughs> as close as I got to heavy machinery. I uh, went to school at, at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, studied electronic material science, uh, but then somehow landed my first job with Caterpillar Engine Division as a service rep. And then Caterpillar was a phenomenal education, you know, giving me a chance to learn and assignments in Seattle, Singapore, and then Illinois, uh, working mostly in roles related to dealer development and product support. And then I have a chance to move a little bit closer to family near Chicago and then spend seven years with a farm equipment company called Echo, where I think John, you and I uh, met right. through the service council. And I had an incredible opportunity to be part of their high growth, high tech precision farming team before uh, joining Manitowoc just about exactly a year ago. Outstanding. You just touched upon one of my bucket lists. I'm, I'm going to, in retirement, spend at least one year in Hawaii, and I'm going to open an ice cream and smoothie stand, and I'm going to surf. That's I'm going to learn to surf, and I'm going to do that. So, 
Um, outstanding, Matt. Uh, welcome to the discussion, and thank you for the introduction for our listening podcast. And and you're right, our our collaboration has been building over many years over those uh, uh, roles that you've played uh, over the course of your career. So let let's go ahead and d- dig a little bit deeper on the Manitowoc uh, company, if you will, and and your role, right? So can can you introduce the company, and can you share with us a, a day in the life as the vice president of global customer support? Yeah. Maybe I'll start with Manitowoc. Manitowoc, yeah. as I mentioned earlier, is a crane company. We really have two primary product divisions. One of them is tower cranes. So think of these as cranes that build vertically up like Lego blocks, so under our mm-hmm. Placon brand. And then the other product division is our mobile cranes, and generally so under the brands of Manitowoc, Grove, or National. Uh, we're a publicly traded, pure crane, around $2 billion in annual revenue, 4,500 or so employees. You know, but many of our brands have been around for you know over a hundred years uh, with a lot of history. I uh, try to spend most of my time helping our team prioritize and focus. You know, I have learned that you know regardless of the size of your company, whether it is sixty billion, twelve billion, or two billion, there's always resource constraints. Not enough time, not enough people. So the best solution to figure out uh, is to figure out which one problem you really want to solve at a time, and then. After that, I try to spend as much time as possible planting new ideas, experiments, and initiatives so that we can develop those and then nurture those for you know, the future growth that we want. Um, I would say when I started my career as a service rep, my day was filled with breakdowns, crises, and unhappy customers. Not that I miss getting yelled at, but <laughs> in my current role, it takes a lot more conscientious effort for me to find time and get to those unhappy customers because the team does such an excellent job in handling the situation. But it is also genuinely where I think lies a lot of opportunity for improvement. So if a customer is still yelling at you, it means he or she still cares and we still have a chance to prove ourselves and make things better for them. Outstanding. I love that outlook. Uh, that's that's great. Very positive. Glass half full. I love it. Um, what, uh, can you talk a little bit more broadly about um, in your role, what departments do you collaborate with cross-functionally? Yeah, I think one of the most underrated part in uh, working in the after sales or the service area is just how broad the organization we touch, right? Everything uh, sort of involve parts and involve technical support. You know, yes, sales provide original machine population, which ultimately, which ultimately create the after sales opportunity. And of course, quality engineering make our job a lot easier by designing machines for service and improving that reliability. And we have a lot of we have probably more customer touch points than any other functions because of that transactional nature of providing a part, uh, providing a warranty repair, and then providing that long-term uh, serviceability for the customer. So you know we believe customer support has a huge implication to customer experience and loyalty, and then customer service is just right with process. There's so many things we do that could benefit from that process. And with all of the recent push for digital transformations, we're often in the center of a lot of those discussions. So maybe I didn't answer the question fully. We probably work with every single functions within the company, even tax and accounting. But you know, if I have to choose which department I want to collaborate more, I would say we probably don't spend enough time uh, talking to and working with our service technicians, those who are really at the front line working with the customers. Uh, part of that is because they're very busy. The other part is maybe the communication channel, you know, isn't just calling a team's meeting and says, can you come join at 9 a.m. and we can have a chat about what really helps you do your job better. 
you know, we really have to kind of go and look and study of how they do their work and how we can really improve them. So that's probably the one department. That if I wish we can find a, a better process, a better method, right? we want to, you know, understand the technicians' needs and then ultimately improve and make their job easier. Geez, that's uh, that's timely. Uh, your your comment about improving the collaboration and the the, the input from the front line. We we the service council shameless plug is uh, conducting its uh, annual voice of the field service engineers survey, which has been in market now for about a week. We have several hundred um, engineers and technicians who've who've responded, and if you would like to get your technicians and engineers' voices heard. Or if you'd like to learn more about uh, what they like about their job, dislike about their job, uh, what they would ask management for, how satisfied they are in their career, how much you support their career, there are opportunities to send the survey out to your technicians and engineers. So maybe my team can put a link to the survey so you can see what the survey is. Um, but it's uh, always a good effort to go to the front line and, and get the voice of, uh, which we do annually and currently in market. So we'll look forward to sharing those results in the next month. And um, and uh, we'll double down on that topic, actually, as we move through the discussion. So 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 Matt, we um, we just launched a survey prior to the voice of the field service engineer around the service leaders agenda. And according to that survey, um, which was uh, a survey we do annually, um, and we always get over 100 executives like yourself who Tell us about the macro level and micro level trends and how you're responding to it. Um, but the, the top internal and external challenges for the next 12 months include the continuation of the workforce and talent shortage. We've heard it enough, right? Uh, the skill sets are leaving the marketplace to retirement. Uh, the Bureau of Labor Statistics suggests that those that are age 65 plus will double, nearly double from 50 to 95 million by the year 2050. And the engagement crisis at the lower end of the market continues to kind of scale up as well, shockingly. Um, some of the early findings from the voice of the field service engineer suggest that that's continuing and maybe even getting worse, quite mm -hmm. honestly. Um, the number two priority is the lack of resources to support demand. So that engagement and retirement crisis is really putting a crunch on capacity management and labor availability. Workforce engagement and retention talked a little bit about that and skill sets and quality of workforce is also diminishing or perhaps the requirements are increasing uh, because of the sophistication of assets and products that are out in market. W what do you make of some of these observations? Are these causal in nature to the Manitowoc companies embarking on the build out of its service network? Can you talk a little bit about that, how it's pertinent to the, today's topic? Yeah, maybe indirectly, but I, I think if I listen to those four top challenges, John, they are effectively, you know, the theme is the people challenge, right? And yeah, I think, yeah. you know, whether it is the war on talents in the 90s or the boom of the IT and the tech sector, right, I think that's really just an imbalance of demand and supply of, you know, types of work we have in the society and the supply of labor that's available to it. And certainly the gradual decline of interest in trade work, you know, doesn't help this particular problem, but hopefully, you know, that does change over time. Uh, when I look at you know, the comments of Manitowoc embarking and building out our service network and maybe even in some cases acquiring our dealer operations over the past few years. You know, one, it's a way to grow our non-new machine sales or after sales revenue in a very cyclical crane industry. But oftentimes, you know, we're going to that direct service models or expanding our direct distribution because our existing partner 
may have reached a plateau with their business due to that lack of skilled labor, right? Or mm-hmm. the cost of modernizing the operations. And then certainly there are more competition today uh, than, than ever in the past. So instead of, you know, attaching our brands to maybe a multi-franchise dealer and being their third product line, yeah. or finding an investor that wants to lay out a large sum of money to build out, you know, we are convinced and at least we have developed a plan to serve our customers uh, in, in those cases. And we believe we can better serve uh, those customer base, you know, but owning our distributions in certain cases, in certain areas, I would say doesn't solve the workforce challenge automatically as demonstrated by the 40 or 50 open technician opening that we have right now. <laughs> a distribution company called MGX across their, their locations in the in the southern parts and the, and the middle part of the country. But I, I think you know, the key for us is I don't think this problem will solve itself, right? And I don't think there is a hope of just waiting for more technicians to become available. Right? We're going to have to assume this is the new normal and then sort of build our process, build our products around, you know, the current labor constraints. Yeah, yeah, I think you're I think you're right. Some of these are becoming systemic issues that we need to kind of go back and look at the overarching picture of the service business and and understand to what degree you can expand your network for the the the, the potential of uh, aligning with the customer need, uh, but also the capacity issues that are that are quite prevalent. Because, and then you also need to look at the service delivery process. But that's not the topic for today. But we will maybe weave that into the discussion. And I want to thank uh, my colleague uh, Sheila Ahmed for. Uh, raising awareness to the voice of the field service engineer survey. Um, please look at the second link that she has provided here. I have overlaid it here on our um, podcast, and it's available in the comments section as well. Uh, I believe I've done that. <laughs> um, so now we're back to the discussion. So Matt, let's let's continue. Let's expand on the discussion around the area of customer service. So. According to the same survey, the Service Leaders Agenda, revenue, innovation, and customer experience initiatives were among the top focus areas of service leaders. So there seems to be an increased focus on avoiding commoditization, maintaining quality in service, and customer delivery. Is this a chief consideration of embarking on that building of the network in terms of making sure you have available resources to meet the demand, making sure you have quality maintained. Are you witnessing greater consistency in quality delivery metrics? Yeah, I maybe mean, the first part of that question is I think we're getting to a stage where, you know, service is becoming or the customer experience is becoming a point of differentiation. So maybe, you know, to meet the customer expectation is something that we have to build. You know, historically an OEM focus on, you know, they're great innovations off of machines and then they find a market for that machines and sell it. And then parts and service was really just an extension of being able to sell the next machines because you have to take care of the customers. But now I think more and more so people understand the importance of that customer experience and the product support uh, capabilities that you really need to help the customers. And more and more focus is going back into this entire journey, you know, for the, uh, quality of delivery metrics. I think this comes up a lot, even in some of the service council meeting and conference we have, this is often, you know, a dominant topics in a lot of the sessions, you know, for one, I think for all of the data analytic tools and the amount of data available, of course, it is easier today to publish and create those metrics. You know, on one hand, the customer expectation is higher and all of the net promoter score movements is making us more aware than ever. 
about how our customer feels about each individual transactions. And then maybe you even have social media providing that instant feedback uh, to the company in real time. But on the other hand, I think you have this huge skilled labor shortage. So your ability to deliver the best customer experience is always going to be limited by you know, your workforce to actually go perform and do the work. So I, I think a lot of us are trying to use metrics to kind of find this balance and guide us. Right? On one hand, we want to do the best we can. On the other, if you're trying to decide which technician to send and you only have one available technician, right, all of the metrics is probably not going to help you. You're going to send who you have and who is available. Uh, but no doubt companies that has a strong culture in taking care of the customers and providing service, you know, will certainly find their way coming out on top, I believe. That's outstanding. And and, and we've been talking about service network um, and maybe for our listening audience, if you could frame a little bit about and give an overview to what is the service network at the Manitowoc company? How, what, are, what are the different channels what have you pulled into your full-time engineers and service technicians uh, and supplemented them with in terms of those different pockets? Yeah. Um, crane is probably not a hobby equipment, so no one buys a crane just to have <laughs> one in the backyard. So at the heart of our business, a majority of our business, we're selling cranes to crane rental companies that really specialize in cranes. Um, they would then in turn offer their cranes with or without an operator to complete a rigging or lifting job for constructions or infrastructure building or whatever the task may be. So just about everything we build requires um, and support the lifting of heavy items off the ground. And I, I, you know, maybe after this podcast, everyone will start noticing all the cranes around them. Right? <laughs> yeah, everything you build, whether it is an Amazon warehouse that has those kind of concrete walls that comes up sure. magically in three months, right? You got to lift that concrete panel up in a tilt upward uh, to do that. Uh, so in many countries, we oftentimes prefer and have a local partner to serve all of these various crane rental companies, um, especially oftentimes they work with and they specialize in different industries. So whether it is oil and gas, manufacturing plants, infrastructure, construction, commercial and residential. And because of that geographical proximity or the customer intimacy, right? This model of OEM to dealer is very prevalent, uh, especially for us in the Middle East, Africa and Asia Pacific. We have uh, probably 20 to 30 dealers depending on brands and the product that they serve. But then in some markets, where our customer base might have been consolidated or our competitions are selling direct or we don't quite have the critical mass yet. You know, we do create some of our own country organization to serve these customers directly, uh, such as Central and South America for Manitowoc. And then, of course, uh, we would love to have a clean uh, structure and network to, to manage, but of course we end up inevitably with this hybrid you know, based on history and circumstances, especially in the developed markets of North America and Europe, where sometimes we have country organization serving in part of our territory and then blended with some independent dealers in that same area serving uh, the customers. But they both act as what I would consider customer facing service organization. So the ownership structure may be a little bit different. Right, because of the market dynamics and maybe attractiveness to outside investor, but the missions of serving our customers are practically identical to us. Outstanding, uh, and and you're correct. I continue to see your equipment out in Greater Boston more prevalently. Uh, I don't know if it wasn't 
just uh, resonating with me before we added you as a board member recently, or if uh, if that kind of triggered me to pay closer attention to the machinery. But uh, I feel like I, I see you much more frequently out in the marketplace. Um, let's talk a, a little bit about, you know, we're talking about building a service network, but how do you as mutual partners measure the efficacy of performance? Can you share some metrics that have been of utmost focus in terms of being either an indicator of health or a noteworthy result that you you uh, reflect on together mutually? Yeah, I, I'm not sure I'll offer anything that is wildly unique, but <laughs> uh, you know, just because dealer management and distribution has been around for quite some time, especially for the automotive and construction equipment side, you know, but for overall dealer resiliencies and financial health, right? The dealer absorption rate, it's always helpful as a goal setting or as a target to grow after sales. So absorption rate would be the amount of parts and service uh, revenue or profit that you bring in that can absorb by the overhead of that dealership or of that branch. Ideally is that your parts and service profits are able to sustain your entire operations, even if you didn't sell a single machine. Right. So the every machine you sell and the profit you gain on that new machines almost become, you know, that above break even point. Uh, and this will provide a tremendous amount of resiliencies and also focus the dealer to have more of that service first mindset instead of, uh, you know, selling the machines and then not worrying about it after the transaction. For parts, you know, no doubt that customer fill rates, right, over the counter fill rates in our um, kind of limited um especially driven by a lot of a consumer online shopping behavior. We want the part now, right? So having that part in the shop available for the customer to pick up is uh, oftentimes critical to selling that part. And then for service technician utilization, it's certainly a level deeper than just capturing your service revenue, but understanding what amount of your technician time is truly applied to, you know, productive work or revenue producing work. You know, it's a, I think it's a very powerful metrics, but, Beyond, I would say, operational metrics and KPI, you know, I think if you want to measure the strength of the partnership between the OEM and the dealer right, or the manufacturers and the service network, you know, I oftentimes think about and look at program or campaign adoptions um, sure. minus the OEM subsidy. Right? So if the OEM and factory is running a parts promotion campaign or discounts or encouraging uh, the network to provide and sell maintenance contract, you know, those are... I think critical to understand whether there's acceptance of those programs or whether there is uh, a good alignment between the OEMs and the dealer uh, network. So sometimes people may look at those adoption metrics as simply a proxy to sales figures, but I think it's even more powerful when you look at them as really, are you guys on the same page in, in those programs? And if a process is low frictions and it makes money, you usually don't need to convince someone to adapt it and use it. And that's ultimately what we want to build more of. Uh, you know, Matt, um, just a quick sidebar. Uh, is the crane industry going through an electrification transformation similarly to, to automotive? I was looking at some automotive statistics where new car registration uh, is is jumping year over year from 14 to 19 percent uh, globally. Um, in China, the achievement of electrification in EVs in market in terms of registration 62% of market share. Yeah. Um, so uh, are you witnessing a similar transformation? Is your industry facing similar transformation? 
Yeah, we're, we're seeing some of it, and maybe it's not uh, as further along uh, as maybe some of the other construction equipment. I know at Grand Expo this year, there's a handful of construction equipment, whether it's ex excavators or wheel loaders that have been electrified. Sure. For power cranes, things that work on a job site and a stationary, they are always shore power or electric power ready. Right? So those are already electrified to begin with. Sure. For the mobile cranes, it often just comes down to do you have reliable power source to kind of charge them, right? If you're way out at a job site and there is no shore power and there's no easy way, you know, carrying an extra gen set probably wasn't going to be uh, super helpful, or at least it's probably not the most efficient way to solve this. And I think a lot of uh, not just Manitowoc, but some of our competitors are now actively looking at is it a fully power solution or sure. is it a hybrid solutions? But for sure, I, I think the technology package has been a lot more mature. Uh, and I think it's easier now for the crane kind of niche industry to look at those uh, offering and then trying to find the best use case for the customers. And I think kind of the blend of um, you know, reciprocating engines and battery technologies is certainly in the very near future, I believe. Outstanding. Outstanding. Yeah, we, we're, we're hearing a lot more focus and emphasis on, you know, not only those operational and financial metrics, but the responsible metrics in terms of, you know, are we responsibly uh, running our business and, and sustainability is a big area of focus. So it's good to hear um, Manitowoc is, is similarly on the path to uh, really considering uh, the impact we're making on the world, and and um, that's that's great. I, I love hearing that. Um, let, let's go back to uh, the the service leaders agenda survey, if we could. Um, Seventy three percent of respondents to that survey indicated they'd be increasing their investment in training in twenty twenty three. So going back to the people issues that we were re referencing before. And 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 that's in and in comparison to 2022 spend. So 73% indicate an increase in investment towards training. Mm -hmm. Some of the other areas witnessing an increase in investment: wages for the front line, 71% uh, year-over-year um, growth, service portfolio, so that commercial side of things, and technology continues to be a double down or a triple down area with digital transformation. Con you know the continuum, right? Digital transformation is not a start and a finish; it's a continuum. Um, what access to resources does your company provide to the service network, training, technology, commercial tools, other? What, can you talk a little bit about that, the enablement? Yeah, it's all of the above, but I would say maybe uh, kind of focusing on kind of this incremental concept of where we're adding investments, right? So I think whether it's training, service portfolio, technology, there's a lot you can look in all of those area and maybe very easy to get lost and go in many different directions. So we are, you know, trying to be strategic and focus in these areas for training. We're really focusing on quick start training program that can take a new technician that may or may not have a lot of previous crane experience and then focus on providing enough skills for him or her to be comfortable going out and tackling a job independently, even if it means they can call for help when they're at the job site. Uh, pivoting slightly from traditionally where we focus a lot more on training and develop a master technicians over the course of a 15-year career, right? If you look at some of the labor metrics of average tenure of a technician is, let's say, three to five years, and you have a 10-year training program, there clearly is a mismatch in the expectations and the workforce that we have available. So we're working a lot more on this quick start path uh, that certainly provides efficiency in 
through some e-learning, right? But we also know how important for this workforce of the hands-on experience and then building their confidence to go work on it. For service portfolio, we're focusing more on programs and customer service agreements that are easier to sell, right? Instead of easier to administer, kind of this more customer-centric view of programs rather than a more OEM internally facing um, development. And then for technologies, you know, ironically, I think the challenge is really about bringing together the number of different data sources and knowledge objects for one place. I think over the past, we have built out, here's a database for a service bulletin. Here is a parts local sure. system. And we're finding that, you know, the efficiency is now created because we have so many tools and so many offerings, but they're not necessarily integrated. They're not necessarily tied together. And it has now shifted to becoming more of an integration and user experience problem, right? Instead of just focusing on, you know, contact center responsiveness and resolution. So those are some of the areas that we're very excited to invest in 2023. And hopefully we reap some of those benefits in, uh, you know, in the future years. Matt, do you mind if I double click on the training, the onboarding side of things? Because that we're hearing a lot of mentorship and focus on onboarding and uh, how quickly can you, you know, time to value, right, in terms of an onboarding experience. And we we continue to hear a lot of uh, emphasis on technology uh, uh, training delivered by way of technology or upskilling and reskilling with, you know, some of the visual support technologies like AR and, and others to help enhance that process. How, how quick of a training program is that onboarding experience for newbies that come into the Manitowoc company? Yeah, I, I, I think traditionally we really view for someone to become a qualified technician, it's a three-year journey, right? Because oh, yeah. it's a very specialized, you know, our challenge now is really trying to, uh, it, it doesn't replace the experience and doesn't replace a mentorship, right? So I, I would not... Uh, pretend to say, yeah, we can magically just shrink the learning onboarding window. But what we're really focusing on is, you know, could we do this in 12 to 18 months to get someone comfortable enough and know what they're doing to go out on a site and be independent? Um, you know, for a lot of our technicians in the field, right, they probably average, you know, 20 to $30,000 of total parts and service revenue that they could generate for a dealership or service organizations a month, right? So one of the measurements we have is, okay, in 12 to 18 months, can this relatively new technician generate 60%, 75% of kind of the average revenue productions of a more established average technicians that are in the workforce? So we're starting that process, trying to figure out what is the right balance of, you know, speed, right? But then also, you know, especially in the crane industry, safety is a paramount factor for us, right? We don't want to send a technician that could potentially create any unsafe conditions for our customers yeah. and for anyone in the world. So we got to find the right balance of being responsible, but then also kind of accelerate this training program. I, I mentioned earlier, you know, just one of our distribution arm here in the U.S. that only covers a portions of the United States has 40 to 50 open regs. Let's say I can hire all of them tomorrow. <laughs> we still have 18 months ahead of us before they're kind of productive and independent. So this is a not a small task by any mean, but uh, but it's an exciting challenge that we're working through. Outstanding. You're not alone. You're not alone. And I, I agree with you. You can't, if you expect quality and delivery, you can't shortchange quality in terms of onboarding experience, right? So I, I completely appreciate where you're going there um, and, and uh, applaud you for uh, for not losing sight of um, that quality employee experience, which obviously translates to the customer experience. Um, 
what have been some of the learning moments of embarking on this process? Maybe maybe some of the successful elements, but also some of the unsuccessful things. That's oftentimes uh, pitfall avoidance has oftentimes been a, a good learning moment for for others to take from. Yeah, I so I've been with Manitoc for just about a year. So the crane industry and the customer base are all new to me. I would say I spent probably my first year with Manitoc trying to find and identify the strength within each of our functions. So whether that's mm -hmm. part inventory management, technical publication, training, user equipment marketing or pricing, you know, uh, I'm sure we acquire and develop those strengths for a reason. So I really want to understand the why and the how behind it. And then spending time, spending time with the team, practicing my listening skills, you know, was fairly, uh, I guess, enable me to be able to accomplish this, right? So that's probably the successful piece uh, I would say on this journey for me, uh, I would say then the hard part is probably convincing our team to improve on those areas of strength, right? Because we are changing as a company, you know, and also because we oftentimes pay less attention to the space that is not on fire. You know, parts and service is a firefighting business more time than not. So we're pretty good at filling the gap, plugging the holes that has an issue. You know, things that kind of work well, right, that may not be optimized or haven't been revisited is where oftentimes can become a blind spot for us. So sure. that's kind of where we're now focusing, or at least during my second year with the company, we're trying to take those strengths and then really, you know, move them to the next step. And of course, trying to bring them all together in a cohesive and strategic manner. Uh, but, you know, the after sales business is a long game and it takes some time sure. to realize what you plant. So maybe, uh, Three years from now, John, we can have another call and I'll let you know how, how successful we are at that point. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll welcome you back for sure. Uh, let, let's go to the three years from now and look at the future proofing element of, you know, as you embark down this pathway. What, what's the next phase of growth with respect to the initiatives built around building out your service network? Can you share some of those things? Yeah, I think, you know, traditionally for a lot of OEMs and Manitowoc, may not be an exception or unique here you know it was very much an oem centric mindset so we are an oem we manufacture machines and we have to take care of the machines that we put out into the organizations but we are certainly you know a lot more focused and strategically as a company looking at how we uh, manage a customer experience and growing our non-new machine sales right so sure, sure. i would say we're almost at a pivotal point of thinking ourselves more than a manufacturer but really a crane service providers Right, in support of our customers. Um, so we're changing a lot of the perspectives. Some of that means, you know, we need to add service footprint, add technicians, right? And then focusing more on that customer experience and what do they really value from our service organizations. So I would say that's probably our, our next stage of growth here for Manitowoc, really converting ourselves into a service organization. It sounds maybe natural or, or maybe even intuitive for a lot of the, uh, uh, of the participants and viewers of your podcast, you know, but it's a, it's a massive step, right? It's a massive culture sure. for an OEM to take that uh, service mindset. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a, that's a, a, a oftentimes a multi-year cultural transformation to really start to cascade that across the organization, especially an organization as large as the Manitowoc company. So, um, but they've got the right gentleman and team around that gentleman to, to take that forward. So uh, kudos to you, Matt. Uh, let, let's go to, um, you know, one of the things that we, we reflect on uh, very positively is is the opportunity to add someone with your wealth of experience to our advisory board. That was something that came about recently. And, 
And uh, we've been the benefit of having you speak at our conference and join us in discussion. And, and, and today we're, we're starting to extract, you know, some of that knowledge that you have for the benefit of our, our members here today. And it's been a a very rewarding relationship from our standpoint. What, What do you look at the service council in terms of the role as an advisory board member, but just more broadly, what is the value you get from this uh, collaboration? Yeah, I, I think, you know, what I value the most is probably the network of customer service executives and leaders that are often solving the same problems, regardless of the industry and business. And I'm sure, John, you hear this quite a bit, right? That's probably sure a thing. common feedback you have, you know, but, you know, the after sales business is rarely a big bang revelation. So innovation, you know, a disruptive innovation that changes what we do, right? We're really in this business of minutia, right? It's one transaction at a time. And it's probably why most people don't think what we do are all that glamorous, right? You don't get to land that multi-unit deal and, and bring home the bacon. Uh, but this means a lot of what we try to do and, and change has kind of this really long horizon timeline. So being able to learn from other leaders and executives that are part of Service Council, you know, who have blazed the trail before certainly help steady my steps and then kind of keep faith in what we're doing, you know, will bear fruits, right? So that I don't have to kind of be uh, anxiously waiting here of, you know, are we doing the right thing? We can kind of learn from others. So that's certainly the biggest value for me, I would say. Outstanding. And and let, let's let's talk about, um, for our listening audience, uh, we, we've gotten to know you uh, in terms of your professional experience and your business and how you've, uh, your approach to building the service network. Maybe something personal about yourself. What do you like to do outside of work, Matt? Yeah. Yeah. Um, outside of work. So that's a very limited constraints of time windows, I would imagine for most people. But, you know, I think we're really restarting kind of the interactions and meeting up with friends more frequently. So whether that's a golf trip, a wine night, a birthday party at a friend's place, you know, being in customer service can be stressful, right? And then I think leading an organization can be lonely at times. So, you know, summer is coming up here in the Chicago area. So I'm looking forward to making an effort and making more time with friends and family this summer when I'm not working and traveling. Outstanding. Matt, thanks so much. We're, we are definitely going to have to welcome you back and do that again and, and see the progress from all these efforts and in terms of uh, evolving the Minotauk company's approach to service and service network. This has been a really great resource for our listenership. Thank you so much for joining today's podcast session. This has been really great. Yeah, thanks for having me, John. For those listening, uh, we uh, will be producing this event. It will be available to you in a downloadable, consumable asset. You can share it with colleagues. Um, and, and there's a lot of other adjacent resources that are available by visiting the Service Council's website. Uh, we will see you back here with our next guest. Uh, there's a roster of uh, events that are coming about. Um, so stay tuned for some of those uh, opportunities to rejoin us. And Matt, once again, thank you today for today's session. It was a really interesting discussion and something I know our members will find great value in. So thank you very much. No problem. Enjoy the conversation. Thanks for having me.